Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. Isn't that great? It's so incredible to think that, that uh, the mission work of the church has been going on for thousands and thousands of years, and that we are celebrating today the mission work of one person, St. Patrick. And he actually did the same series that we're doing, 40 Days of Prayer, in Ireland years ago, but it didn't take off because whenever people in- invited people to do it, it was, it was, would you like to come to 40 Days of Prayer? And they said, no, no, that doesn't sound right. I don't think I want to come to that church. But we, we did it in, in our dialect, and it works much better here in California. So anyway, that was a terrible joke. Okay, all right, there's one clip. Oh, ah. Anyway, so we have fun here at Highlands, and one of the greatest things we've done recently is this 40 Days of Prayer. This is day number 33, countdown to Easter. And the the church has been filled with small groups. People have been gathering together and praying together and learning what the Bible says about prayer. And they've been taught by my good friend, Rick Warren, down at Saddleback Church, who has recorded these messages. I'm pretty sure only for our church, but maybe not. I'm not sure. So, um, but it's a really, really good experience. And uh, it's been neat to see the way in which uh, people have discovered that God answers prayer and that their hearts are transformed through prayer and that the church is, is drawn together, that the Holy Spirit of God uh, draws, uh, draws our hearts together in prayer. Now, we started this series with, by looking at the story of Samuel. Uh, actually, Samuel's a miracle baby. Uh, Samuel's mom was told, or actually, she, she couldn't have kids. She wasn't able to have children. And so she prayed to God, uh, crying uncontrollably in the temple, asking God for a son. And her bargain was that if God would give her a son that she would put her son into essentially boarding school at the temple, that he would be serving the priest from the minute he could walk. So as soon as she was done with her prayer, she had this great joy in her life. She didn't know that the baby would come into her life, but she just had joy. And we've learned that when you pray, that there's joy that is restored, that that we are restored and filled up. Now, so so then the baby was born, Samuel, and he grew up in the temple. And when he was 12 years old, we learned last week that Samuel heard God's voice in the middle of the night, was waking up in the middle of the night, and he kept going to Eli and saying, Eli, the, the priest's name, are you the one calling me? And Eli kept saying what every parent would say uh, when a kid gets out of bed three times, go back to bed, right? And so Samuel kept going back to bed, and finally Eli said, it's God's voice. And we learned last week that discerning God's voice and having clarity about God's voice is, is, is a big part of prayer is understanding when God is speaking to us, and also being obedient. We learned the word shalom last week. I love that message about shalom. The shalom is not just to hear or listen, that's true, but it's also to understand with our hearts, and then to obey with our hands, is to walk forward in what we hear from God. And so this week, we are following up with Samuel. Samuel, between the age of 12 and the age that we're about to read the scripture at, just when the scripture says he's old, we don't know what that is. It was probably like 30 in the Old Testament days, right? So I don't know what old was. So, um, so he, was, uh, he was 12 years old um, when he heard God's voice, and God told him that the whole nation would start to fall apart, that everything would come unglued, and that, um, that even the priest would die. And, and so that happened. There was a war, and the ark was captured, the ark of the covenant, the chest that held the Ten Commandments was, was stolen, and, it, and the whole nation was in devastation until Samuel began to preach to the people, put God first. Put God first in your life, in everything that you do. And, and because of the work that God did through Samuel, and because of the prayers that Samuel lifted up and taught his people to pray, the, the the whole nation experienced an unprecedented, like, unprecedented era of peace. It, it, everything was good. There were good times. 
Beautiful times. Uh, and, and, and the scripture tells us that for the whole of Samuel's reign when he was in charge, for the whole time that he was in charge, that, that there was peace in all the towns and all the villages and all the families throughout Israel. So good times. This is what happens in chapter 8. Now, when Samuel got old, uh, he appointed his sons to serve as Israel's judges. Now, by the way, this, this means that he is engaged in the, that, that nepotism is not a new thing, right? He didn't look for the best people to serve as judges, did he? Who did he look for? He looked for his sons. So that's, that's probably, his, or most definitely, his first mistake. Goes on to say, the name of his oldest son was Joel. The name of the second was Abijah. I know that there's someone in here looking for the name of a son uh, for their new baby to be born. I think Abijah could be a good one. Abby. I know there's an Abby in this church, actually. They served as judges in Beersheba. Um, but Samuel's sons didn't follow in his footsteps. They, turned, they tried to turn a prophet, and they accepted bribes, and they perverted justice. Uh, these guys uh, show us that church corruption isn't something that's new, okay? So if you say, oh man, church corruption, uh, this is the first time that anybody's ever seen those kinds of things before. No, it's, it's endemic. Uh, anytime people experience power in the world, that power can be manipulated and distorted and, and used in bad ways. And so this is what happens. It says that these sons were, uh, were trying to make, get rich by becoming preachers. And it goes on to say these words. So all the Israelites elders got together and went to Samuel at Ramah. Okay, by the way, it's not a good idea as a pastor, generally speaking, if all the elders get together and you're not there, okay? That's generally not a good thing, okay? It happens, it happens, it does, it does, and it might happen someday, but I'll tell you, I'll be listening when they come and they say, we've got something to tell you. So it says these words, it says, um, they, they said to him, listen, and he was. This was like an intervention, right? <laughs> we are going to talk to you. And the first thing they say is, you are old now. Ouch, right? <laughs> okay, this isn't going well. <laughs> I think I get this is going. You're talking about retirement. Isn't that what is about to happen? They say, you are old now, and your sons don't follow in your footsteps. You're, and, and they're just speaking the truth that everybody knows. That's what an intervention is, isn't it? It's where everybody gets around and they say, okay, I'm going to say the thing that's uncomfortable, but everybody knows it. Actually, the intervention is when all the people get together and they say, hey, we're going to speak what the one person has been denying is true. And then that person is going to discover that it is true because everybody's going to say, you thought that, oh, I was going to go into flat earth stuff. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, you get the point. There's certain things that are true in this world. And the earth's not flat. I'm sorry. I just have to go there. My job is to speak truth. So, so the, there is... Why am I scared to say that? I don't know why. <laughs> I wouldn't have been scared to say that 10 years ago, but I just know that someone like, is going to just walk away from the faith because I said the earth is round. Anyway, so... Um, just like so scared. Anyway, <laughs> it's so funny, isn't it? So, so they're speaking truth, and that's our job as pastors and preachers and as, as uh, followers of Jesus. And it says... Um, Listen, you are old now and your sons don't follow in your footsteps. And so, so they said, so appoint us a king to judge us like all other nations have. So Israel's looking at all the other nations. They were powerful. They had all the things. They have glitz and glamour and gold and whatever. And they said, oh my, you know what our problem is? We're not like other people. If our life looked like other people, then we would be good. Then we would have real good things. And, and so they say, please just appoint a king to judge us like other nations. Now, is it, is it, do you think this is the last time in history when a big nation said, hey, you know what? I know what'll solve all our problems. We'll change the government, right? 
We do it every four years. Every four years, it's, oh, if we just change the government, everything will be better. Now, it's true that change happens through changes in government, but the reality is that that is not the transformation that makes the difference. The transformation that makes the difference is the heart change. It's the transformation within the person. It's the transformation within the heart of the people, and that's what the Bible tells us over and over and over again. And so, so, so what they're asking for is they're saying, hey, you know what? We would really like a king to, to, to rule over us, right? And, um, and the Bible's a really good example of how the whole Old Testament, if you want a real nutshell, I mean, this is a super big nutshell summary of the Old Testament. People put idols in place of God. They say, you know what? God's good, but I think I'm going to create my own God. I'm going to carve a little statue, and I'm going to worship to that statue, and that'll be better. Well, that doesn't work. So then they go, okay, we're going we're gonna to go this direction. And then they have judges, and then they say, that doesn't work. Then I'm going to have kings. Oh, yeah, if we have a king, one king, then that will work. And then over and over again throughout history, people have always tried to put something in place of God, to replace God with one other thing. And this is just one more example of where people are saying, you know what, Look, let's have kings. I think that, that's the solution to our problem. And so he said, so appoint a king to judge us like all other nations have. And then... In verse 6, it says, It seemed very bad to Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So he prayed to the Lord. So Samuel is entering into this place where I would say that he is in a calculus question moment in his life, right? What do you do when, how do you respond? That's what I want to ask you. How do you, how do you respond when you encounter a calculus level question? Now there's, there's basic math questions in life, right? They're easy to answer. You know, murder is bad. Okay, good. Check, right? But what happens when, that, when, when there's other questions that come into your life and they're difficult to answer? And you're not sure which way to go and, and what's up or what's down. And you're certainly confused about things. And, and what was previously true seems not to be true. And you're trying to figure out what's going on. How do you respond to that, that moment in your life? And each one of us is dealing with it. See, this whole 40 days of prayer series has been based on the understanding and the truth that the greatest challenges in your life are in front of you. And you're saying, gosh, I can't, I don't know if I can handle that because, because the challenges I've already faced in my life were so big. And I'm ready for peace. I'm ready to relax. I'm ready to retire. I'll bet Samuel was in that position too, don't you think? Don't you think he was thinking, hey, you know what? I've lived out my whole entire ministry. I've done all these, this, this nation has been built on prayer. They've put God first. Fantastic. Yeah, my sons are a little off the rails, but you know, things are going good. And then sure enough, even at the end of his life, the greatest challenge of his life is right in front of him. And the scripture says he doesn't know what to do. He has no idea how to respond. And so what does he do? Praise. It says he went to God in prayer. In our life, when we pray, we should pray and ask God for clarity when we're confused. And there will be times when we're sitting there going, I don't know what to do. I really don't know. How many people have asked God for clarity? A show of hands. This is just kind of, yeah. And how many have had, had clarity as a result? Some hands went down, but most hands stayed up because you're still in that place. But like, you guys rose your hands faster on that one than anything I've seen before. Because you guys, you guys know that when you ask God for clarity, God does bring clarity into your heart and your mind and your soul. Samuel didn't have clarity, so he went and he asked God and he said, pray to God, God, please give us clarity. Give me clarity. How do I respond? 
The Lord answered, Sam, answered Samuel, comply with the people's request. What? Everything they ask of you. Because they haven't rejected you, no, they've rejected me as king over them. Prayer, you can write this down, prayer reminds us of God's place. Prayer reminds us of God's place in our life. You know, uh, have you ever uh, heard this saying, uh, you walk up to someone who seems to wonder if it's all about them, and then you walk up to them and say, are you dizzy? Have you heard this? You know where I'm going with this? Are you dizzy? Because it, it, you might believe that the world is revolving around you. You heard that? Don't say that to people. That's not very nice. But it it's, makes sense, right? You know, in ministry, at the beginning of ministry, I don't have this anymore. At the beginning of ministry, I used to have people um, be kind of like grumpy on a Sunday, right? And they come in grumpy, you know, like, and that's okay because people are grumpy sometimes. But in the early days of ministry, I used to think that they were grumpy to, like, the reason I was experiencing grumpy is because they were mad at me, right? Because, like, I had done something wrong, and I would go up to other people like, what did I do wrong? What, what, what does it mean? And, and, and you know what the truth is? Did it have anything to do with me? No, it didn't have anything to do with me. They were just grumpy. I happened to be in their presence at the same time. A lot of times in our life, we look at other people's problems and we make them our problems, but they're not our problems. It's their relationship with God. It's not, it's not our relationship with God. We have our relationship with God and their struggles are their wrestling match with God. And we tend to take on their struggles and start to, start to get inside of their business when in fact, what God says is, okay, yeah, they're making a bad decision, but you gotta let them make a bad decision. One of the, one of the things that I love most about my dad, my dad's a pastor, is that he let me make bad decisions. I remember I'd come home, and he's the pastor of the church, uh, First Presbyterian Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, right? And I, I, would, I would say, Dad, Dad, I, I, I want to go try a new religion. And do you know what he'd say? Okay, go try it. He knew that he had introduced me to Jesus Christ and who Jesus was, and he knew that I knew the God's unconditional love, so I would go, and I'd come back and say, that one wasn't right, Dad. And he goes, no, really? <laughs> And then I was like, but I'm going to try another one. He's like, all right, go ahead, go try that. And then I would go try that. And I'd say, God, I, 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 don't, I don't know what's, I, I don't know who you are. I would wrestle and I would, I would be in these places of life where I would find myself down different paths. And all the time, my dad would allow me to make bad decisions, right? Because he knew that God was with me. He knew that God was with me when I was in a, in a valley of life or when I was in darkness or when I was making mistakes. God was always with me. And that God would always be the one speaking into my heart because uh, as I say, you can't unknow Jesus, right? Once, once you know Jesus, you can't go down the street and someone say, you know Jesus, you say no because you're a liar after that. Once you know who Jesus is, you can't unknow Jesus. He's always with you. See, this is the moment in the, in the story of Israel where God says to Samuel, stay focused on your calling, on your calling. And you know what Samuel gets confused? Samuel thinks that his calling is to control people. He thinks that maybe his calling, and, and that's where his confusion comes, he thinks maybe his calling is to control the elders. His calling is to control the people who are going to make a bad decision. And in fact, God says, no, 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 you have to allow the elders to lead because that's the position that they've been given in the church. And you have to empower them and you have to lift them up and you have to allow them to make the bad decisions. And that's how they're going to discover who God is. And one of the best places to discover God, who God is is in the dark moments, in the, in the valleys. That's where you're going to find the light shines the brightest. You know? And there's a tendency in all of our lives when we're given power 
or when we're given an, an opportunity to influence is to, control, to try to tr- control the outcomes of other people's lives, to try to, try to manipulate their journey. And God says, don't do that. Speak what you know to be true. This is what Jesus says, and, and, and he's, this is him meeting with Peter after he has been resurrected at the end of the Gospel of John. And um, Peter has just spoken some, some tough truth. Into, uh, Jesus has just spoken some tough truth into Peter's life. Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. And, and Peter, Jesus says, do you love me? Uh, and actually, Jesus says, if you love me, then you'll feed my sheep, right? And he does this three times, and it's, and it's tough. And ultimately, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to, because he's following Jesus, because he's doing what Jesus commands him to do, Peter is going to die, that he's going to die. He's going to be killed because he's following the way of love. And then Peter looks over at John and he says, Jesus, and I love this. He says, Jesus, what about John? What's, what's going to happen in his life? <laughs> and then this is what Jesus says. Jesus replied, if I want him to remain until I come, and you could read these uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven words with me. Read them with me. What difference does that make to you? You can write that in your little notes today. If you're wondering something right there that Jesus said, what difference does that make to you? You know what that is? That's Jesus saying, keep your eyes on your own place. Stay out of John's business. That's between John and Jesus. That's their conversation. He says, if I, he says you must follow me. I hear people talking, hey, the end of the world could happen today. End of the world could happen then. All these things could happen. This person's doing that. That's, I say, you know, what does it matter for you? How is that going to change the way you live your life today? It shouldn't. Your life should always be the same, no matter whether there's an emergency happening tomorrow or there's a beautiful sunny day happening tomorrow. Your job is to do one thing, follow Jesus and trust Jesus and and walk with Jesus. That's it. It's simple. Yet we take on all these other things in life. The scripture says uh, in verse 8 about Samuel speaking to God, this is what God says. God says to Samuel, they are doing to you only what they've been doing to me from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this very minute, right? Abandoning me and worshiping other gods. You know what God is saying? God is saying, Samuel, I know that you were a miracle, baby. I was there and I know that you were not, you not feeling totally accepted when your mother, as soon as you were born, dropped you off at the temple when you were a little toddler, I'm feeling, I know that you've felt that sense of rejection. I know it. And God is saying to Samuel, I know that when your sons didn't follow in your footsteps, when they started to try to get rich in the ministry, God says, I know that you were feeling they were rejecting you. And he says, I know that when all your elders got together and they had one big board meeting and they decided to have a secret conversation without you and then they came to talk to you and they came up with a plan that was totally different and not aligned with God's purposes in the world, God says, you thought that they were rejecting you. And I know that you feel that you've been rejected all the way. And God says, you feel that rejection? He says, that's the same rejection I've experienced every single minute of every single day by every single person on the face of this earth. He said, that is the same rejection I've had ever since they came out of Egypt. He says, you think that you're the only one that's been rejected. And he says, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They're rejecting me. What prayer does, this is what's happening in Samuel's heart and it happens in our heart. Prayer allows us to have the heart of God. It allows us to have God's heart, to see the world the way that God sees the world to understand 
the depth of rejection that God has experienced, to understand that God identifies with who we are. And Jesus, Jesus is the one who was rejected more than anybody. There is no one who was rejected more than Jesus. All of Jesus' friends who loved him so much and all of his disciples, they abandoned him at the trial. They said, you know what? You know what? I don't even know who Jesus is because they didn't want to put themselves in harm's way. All of the government abandoned Jesus. All of the religious institutions abandoned Jesus. There was nobody, nobody that stood up for Jesus in those last days. As he hung there on the cross, he experienced all the pain and all the rejection. And, and that's the character and nature in the heart of God. That God would do that so that you could hear that you are accepted. So that you could hear that you are received so that you could hear that God welcomes you in and embraces you and extends grace into your life day in and day out. No matter how many times you reject God, God is always going to keep running after you and embracing you and chasing you down to, to, to speak love into your eyes and your heart and your mind and your soul every single day of your life. This is what God says to Samuel. He says, so comply with their request, but give them a clear warning. God says, don't don't let them do that without saying, by the way, I don't think that's the best path, best path to go down. Give them a clear warning. Tell them how the king will rule over them. And so Samuel gets this long list of how the king will rule over them, like your kids are all going to work at fast food joints for the rest of your life, you know, like, <laughs> just like, just trying to lay it out. By the way, if you want capitalism, here it goes, you know, or whatever government you decide to put in the place of God, whatever you think is the solution, when the solution isn't God doesn't matter what it is. And so Samuel goes down this. He says, your, your, your children are going to work in the temple. Your children are going to be running chariots. They're going to be part of the army. They're going to have to be part of the, they're going to be bankers. And they're going to, this whole system is going to be in place. You just need to know what direction you're going to go down. And so Samuel, Samuel does speak this. And, and it says, um, and, and the words, it says, then Samuel explained everything the Lord had said to the people who were asking for a king. This is how the king will rule over you, Samuel said. The prayer that we should ask God for is that we would have the courage to speak like Samuel. That we would be courageous enough to, to look people in the eye and say, you know what, this is who Jesus is. That Jesus is the way. That, you, that, that Jesus loves you. You know, one of the greatest ways that we can do that, honestly, and yes, I, I'm really excited about Easter and yes, I do want you to sign up to serve on Easter, but there's no better way uh, for people to hear the love of Jesus Christ than for 200 people that we need for Easter to sign up and serve today on those little cards that we gave you. You know, people think that the, the, the number one message, that, that the, the, the most powerful moment of the Easter service will be when, when the, the sermon is preached and you're like, no, we don't. <laughs> or you might think of it's when, when the music is sung. But that's not what really shocks people and transforms. You know what they are transformed by? They're transformed when they see people adhering to a new system. When they, they, they find themselves a part of the body of Christ. When they, they recognize that people who are operating within a different kingdom, and they have a different king, and they serve one another, and they lower themselves as low as they can to lift others up, and they see a whole community of people, and they're out there on the corner, and they're out there on the streets, and they're out in the field, and there's 30. Why, why do we just have the idea of 30 people serving in children's ministry? Let's have 50 people serving in children's ministry, Right? Let's aim for the stars so that every single one of those kids can, that, that feels rejected, every one of those kids that feels that they've been pushed aside by community or they've been, they've been 
they've been disregarded, can, can hear that, that God identifies with them and that God receives them and welcomes them in. You know, um, this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul says when he is in prison. And he says these words um, as he's feeling rejected. And it says, offer prayers. This is an instruction to the community. So we should receive it as an instruction to us. Offer prayers and petitions in the spirit all the time. You hear that? You know, I, I think that, I think communities of faith even don't, I, I think sometimes they try to make their pastor king, don't you think? Have you seen that? We want a king. They, they want someone to be between them and God. They want, they want to be removed from that, 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 that reality that honestly we can all pray in the spirit, that we all have a direct connection to God, that we're right here, right now, that God is right with you every second of every minute. And any moment, in minute that we don't acknowledge God, we're doing what? We're rejecting God. And so, so Paul says, remember to offer prayers and petitions in the spirit, in the spirit of God, which is with us all the time. Stay alert, the scripture says, by hanging in there. Did you know that that was a scripture? If anyone says, what's your favorite scripture in the Bible? You can say, hang in there. <laughs> and say, like, who said that? Paul, the apostle Paul, hang in there. Hang in there. It's not from the 1980s. It's straight from here. It's from the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> like the 80s, like not 1980s. So stay alert by hanging in there and praying for all believers, right? <laughs> and as for me, Paul says, pray that when I open my mouth, I'll get a message that confidently makes the secret plan or mystery of the gospel known. Paul says, pray that somehow, by some miracle, the, the people who are drawn into the calculus questions of life somehow are are able to, by the power of God, have clarity because of the words that we speak. And it says these words, um, I'm an ambassador, Paul says, in chains. Isn't that great? I think if Paul had a car, it would have a license plate that said ambassador in chains. He was proud. He was proud. He was proud of the burden that he bore. He was proud that he identified with the sufferings of Jesus. He was proud that he was afflicted because he had chosen the path of love. He said, because I'm an ambassador in chains for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of speaking, being courageous enough to speak the good news of the Lord to people. And it says, pray so that the Lord will give me the confidence to say what I have to say. You know, Paul could have just said, you know, I can pray for myself. It's fine. I got it taken care of. He didn't say that. He said, will you pray for me? He knew that God would, would be hearing the prayers of every single person. In the same way, small groups, when we get, when we get together as a community, we get together as a church, the best part of a small group at the end is when we say, is there anything we can pray for you for? And first week, maybe nothing. Second week, nothing. But third week, you go, yeah, there is something. And have the prayers of other people lifting up those concerns that are on your heart is just one of the best experiences in the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for every single person in here for the struggle and the wrestling matches of life, for the difficulties. Lord, you are the one who brings clarity, so bring clarity to our hearts and our minds. Help us to see for those times when we are, we are burdened with the struggles of others to recognize that that is their relationship with you. That we should have care for them, we should have concern for them, we should love them, but Lord, we should recognize that they are not fighting us, they're fighting you. And so God, we pray for them, we pray that, pray that you would do what you promised to do. That you will be the one that is walking with them every step of the way. 
And we pray, God, that, um, that you would guide our church as we step out in prayer to discover the mysteries, the, ones, the things that have eluded us, the truths about who you are that seem to have been distant from us but now are coming close to our hearts. And so we praise you, God, for what you have done and we praise you for what you are doing and we are so excited about what you're going to do because you're the one that is bringing about transformation in the hearts and minds of others. You're the one that is paving the way. You're the one that, by the power of your spirit, that is drawing others near to you and lifting up their voices in praise. And we praise you, God, and pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen.